Welcome to Screen Therapy. I'm your host, Jason Schurz. In October of 2018, I found myself in the hospital, sitting across from a psychiatrist who was telling me I had bipolar. I was sent home with a bunch of medication and laid on the couch for a week. I had my iTunes library on shuffle, trying to shake the hornet's nest from my head. Ever since I was a kid, I've been using loud music as a form of therapy. Punk rock and mental health have always been connected. This podcast looks at that connection through the lens of different guests. This is Screen Therapy. Sometimes we can only truly know how much a thing means to us after it's taken away. B. Sunrish is the Atlanta-based author of You're Only Crazy If You Answer, a punk-informed book of poetry about loss and grief. Throughout her life, B's punk rock anchor has been yanked out from under her. Psychotic episodes have put her in the hospital, and the medications doctors used to bring her back down would bring her way too low. Inspired and sheltered by classic punk bands like Sleater Kinney and Heavens to Betsy, and newer ones like Perfect Pussy and Bully, B found her authentic voice as a writer. Punk rock is where she draws her energy, and an important part of her recovery is jumping back into the fray, right where she belongs. Hey, I'm B. Sedenreich. I am a writer and a film enthusiast slash theorist here in Atlanta, Georgia. Got into punk rock in my 20s when my mental health started plummeting in college back in Tallahassee, Florida, Florida State University, where I was getting a creative writing degree. Turned to Slater Kinney as an antidepressant before I got on actual antidepressants. But Sooner or later, things came to a point where I needed a little bit more support. Got hospitalized when I was 25 for psychosis, mostly stress-induced, living up in New York, working on set in the film industry, and been five years in recovery for psychosis, so quite the journey. Been on antipsychotics or mood stabilizers for that long So you do a lot of creative projects. You're a poet, a writer, the film side of things as well. I'm wondering what it's like to use those outlets, not only for, you know, mental health or for a way to express yourself, but also because of the punk rock that you got into, how that informs those creative pursuits. Punk rock has always been this huge blanket that I've cozied under I was in Tallahassee as a late teenager, early 20s, started dealing with depression then, and 
a little bit of mania too. And I feel like all of my outlets were just these projects, writing screenplays and watching movies and studying adaptation. Music just fueled me through that. I was never the type of person that could not work without music playing. Yeah. Some people are like, the lyrics distract me. And I was always that kid that could not do anything without listening to music. I'm like that too. I actually wrote my whole book, the screen therapy book with music. For me, it's a way to turn off my brain and go into that zone. Yeah, definitely. I was introduced to Minor Threat in my early 20s. And I was like, there must be something that resonates more with me. And started digging deeper, found like Bikini Kill and Heavens to Betsy and the Riot Girl movement when I was in these like feminist studies classes. That really helped ground me in all of the depression that comes with just being a woman in a football school. I loved like the fast paced punk songs that I was introduced to, but I was introduced to them from like a male gaze. And all of these femme-fronted punk bands really spoke to me so much more. As a woman, you have to text everyone when you're home. Please text me when you get back home. There's just this distrust in the world that you can make it there. You can make it back safe. In undergraduate school, I was sexually assaulted and didn't really like know how to cope with it and didn't know how to cope with all the grief and the anger. Brought my mental health to a head. Um, spent so long trying to hide it. Finally, like I was hospitalized, facing my actual demons in there alone in a room. I got pulled out of there and like the only thing that I listened to that brought me like calm was whole or bully or white lung. I believe you, that one track from White Lung is something that I needed to hear. And what was it about those bands? You mentioned Sleater Kinney as well that really spoke to you as far as how you felt and, and how your mental health was. I remember last year I started writing about Mishway and White Lung and trying to pitch it to Bloomsbury for 33 and a third because I really wanted to write a book on deep fantasy. And one of the things that I told Mish over the phone was no one had told me like, I believe you. It wasn't until I was in like a really divey bar in Nashville where she was screaming it at the top of her lungs. It wasn't until that point that I was like, oh, I think I can make it through this. The first Slater Kinney song that I listened to was called The Doctor. Another great song that encapsulates mutual understanding. This need to sterilize us, compromise our agency over everything. You mentioned having a psychotic episode. I've had at least a couple as well, and it's terrifying. For me, when it was happening, my relationship to music was in some ways almost like I was believing it was speaking to me. Those bands and those lyrics and those people were basically guiding me through this this episode. They were my protectors. Do you remember what music was like for you during the actual the episode? Music was such like a huge touch point to my psychosis. Going into the hospital and not having my phone, my Spotify, whatever, to like just drown in was horrible. Uh, I remember like on the way to the hospital, my dad gave me his noise canceling headphones because I started having optical seizures and the hallucination that I could hear people's pain. And he was like, if you could just drown it out, 
maybe that will be helpful. Bullies Losing came out at that time. I was dealing like a lot with the past, what had happened to me in college. I didn't know that she had bipolar too when I was listening to it. It all like started to make sense when she started coming out in press as having bipolar two and struggling with that diagnosis. I had a bunch of hallucinations. What calmed me down the most was being able to like sit there with noise canceling headphones, just like existing in this total punk world. I was really bummed when I got out of the hospital and they had me on like a cocktail all these different drugs, some downers to just level me out, but also like my brain was moving too fast and like my body was trying to catch up with it. In order to protect me, they were like putting me on so much medication that I was just a complete zombie. I wasn't able to go to shows and shows were like my biggest release. In New York, when I was living in Atlanta, when I was living in Nashville, moshing was the way that I got all that excess energy out. The worst part of recovery was like not being able to move for the first few months. The moshing is interesting because from an outsider perspective, it just looks like pure aggression and even violence to some. I think that there's a misconception that the people in the mosh pit are out to get each other. And in fact, it's the exact opposite. And to me, it's always been a communal activity, an activity where I felt safe, actually, rather than what people would think. You mentioned that was your constant in your place where you felt like you could go. As you said, like the sense of community and belonging, that this music meant so much to everyone involved. It's also like just a form of exercise. It gets your endorphins going. And there was only one time where like, I was like, this is too much for me. And that was, I went to a Black Lips concert at the Exodus, which is a venue that is sadly no longer in Nashville. And I like walked out with bruises all along my pelvis and all over my knees. I was like, this isn't even hard punk music. This is like bubblegum punk. What is going on? And I remember being really upset that safety and community had like been compromised for me. I stepped away from that mosh pit, rethinking my presence in these spaces and what it meant to be like a woman in these spaces or a femme in these spaces. And I spent some time out of it, and then I remember I got right back into it. As soon as I was able to move after recovery, I was like, okay, I'm going to like the next punk show. I'm going to throw my body as quickly and as presently as possible. That's like the core of it, is that like you get to be completely present. You're not dwelling in the past. You're not freaking out about the future or future tripping. You're just just there. You mentioned before about having that moment of discovering punk rock and feeling really connected to it. And for me, it was very much like fitting a puzzle piece into my life and it fitting perfectly. Back when I was a teen, your mental health was not doing well around the time when you discovered this music. So once you did discover it, how did that change your life? How did it affect where you went from there? I guess originally when I discovered punk music, I was living in a house with a bunch of dudes. It was really gross. I loved them, but it was disgusting. And I always felt that I had to move in a pod. I was quite the masculine femme. I always hung out with my guy friends from my childhood and drank beer, did drugs, did all the stuff, played video games and stuff, and always traveled in packs of men. And 
when those relationships kind of started going sour, my mental health was also depleting and I felt such a sense of loss. But when I found these punk bands from Olympia, I finally was like, I think I can like do things on my own. I ended up graduating early. I got the hell out of Tallahassee. I hated that place and moved to Nashville for like a really quick stint of time and exploring the punk scene and self-publishing and stuff like that. So I went ahead and started making this zine, this feminist zine that I would pass out at punk concerts and talk about local politics and stuff around abortion restrictions and women's health and all of these different avenues that you can go down to be supportive of women and femmes. Because so many of these women were like just going up there and like giving their all and talking the most vulnerable truths, I felt driven to do the same and to lead my own life instead of just following a bunch of guys to bars and help me find like greater sense of self driven to do the next thing for myself instead of through the gaze of what my roommates might think what my boyfriend might think or what my like best guy friend might think so that's kind of how it affected me and from the zines which are unfortunately not as big of a thing these days but were an amazing part of the punk scene in the 90s and 2000s and they're still out there for sure but not as prevalent with the internet being the way that it is. How did the zines lead into other forms of writing for you? You mentioned pitching an idea for a, a book. You mentioned uh, writing in the film side of things and also the book of poetry. So from zines to that, what was the trajectory? I've always been a writer. So like, I think I was in fourth grade once my fourth grade writing teacher or English teacher was like, you know how to write. And I was a terrible student. So it was the only thing that I grasped onto. I was editor-in-chief of my like school newspaper and just like always held on to that as a strength. I always thought that I was going to write a novel. This is my my path. But short form stuff really is where it's at for me. Like I like the heavy hitting punk albums that are like really short. Perfect Pussy self-titled album, like so heavy, so so brief, but really carries itself something that I kind of compare you're only crazy if you answer to which is like a huge self-compliment but at the same time that's kind of where I am I was writing like long-form creative nonfiction for the film industry here interviewing people from like Disney plus shows to HBO shows and all that stuff and getting paid for it pretty well had a salary as editor-in-chief of a film industry magazine here in Atlanta and was sort of making ends meet being a writer. And I ended up transitioning into marketing and communications for film festivals, which is now my full-time job. That step away from being a writer as a salaried position gave me a ton of time to be a writer for fun again. And that's when I did the book pitch where I was like, if I can come out with something that speaks to me on like a visceral molecular level, 
I never considered myself a poet. I got a B in poetry in college because they said, <laughs> I, they said I was too ironic, but I wasn't sober at the time. And I think that probably had a lot of weight. But once I got sober, I was kind of ready to process all my grief. When I came across your book, it was funny because something twinged with me. Whenever I come across folks in the creative world, I'm like, oh, are they a punk? I think they might be a punk. Are they a punk? And when I found out that you you know, had a history with punk rock and that you were a punk, I think you're fine with saying that. <laughs> I was like, yes, I knew it. There's so many artistic people who are punk rockers. And in writing the book and doing the podcast, I've found so many people that are creative and have a punk background. Yeah, that's interesting. Like, I have the opposite. I see a punk and then I'm like, so what else do you do? And they're like, oh, I'm a computer engineer. <laughs> yeah. Or I'm a comedian. And there's just like so much depth to this genre. So many things can be punk from coding to getting up on stage and cracking a bunch of jokes. A lot of punks are like polymath you're writing a book, you're making a podcast, you're doing all these different things, you're able to interview all of these people and find a sense of camaraderie in that. And that's not something that just comes out of thin air. Like this genre, like it pulls like a specific person in, I think. Those people are usually like very good at an amalgamation of things. It also seems to pull in folks who are dealing with mental health struggles. 100%. <laughs> what is it about punk rock and the punk rock scene that you think gravitates people towards it that are dealing with mental health conditions, mental health issues? I think it's like a raw honesty, this ability to face truth in a really specific way. I think it's pretty punk to go on a podcast and talk about your mental health, knowing that my job can easily tap into this or my parents can tap into this and people can have all all of their opinions about it and that like punk is such an anti-opinion sort of space. It doesn't really matter like what you've gone through. You're here and that's what matters. You made it. You made it to the venue. You made it to the stage. You made it to the publishing company and you're able to be your most authentic self doing that, I think that's the most important thing to punks. The punk scene also empowers people automatically by being part of it. So then when people run into crisis, even stigmas, there's already an empowerment there that they can build on, I find. Like, I'm a weirdo freak, you know, I consider it to be good things. So what do I have to lose? I can either talk about bipolar and I can say, I've already got that sense of identity. It's a fine line, right? A lot of people have feedback for me. Is it good for your mental health to be all out there? To be telling people that you get antipsychotic shot once a month. The completely opposite end of the spectrum. I have people who I haven't spoken to since high school being like, hey, your post about like being on your medication and it working, I can finally like think clearer or clearly and I just got a job. I don't want to be like this self-sacrificing person, but at the same time, like hearing from people, me being honest about 
the struggle that I've gone through and like how I've dug myself out of that hole with proper medication and proper therapy and self-talk. It helps my sobriety. It helps my mental health to know that I'm of service, people that are still like sick and suffering. And as far as having the strength to put yourself out there, the punk scene, in my experience, gave me a boost. So it, it already gave me that one little extra push that I needed to deal with this stuff, to start doing DIY stuff like podcasts, writing a book, putting on shows, all the things that punks do that are communal. I'm not putting on a punk show for myself. I'm putting it on because I want to get the message out there. I want people to see the bands. It's not a selfish act. And I think that in itself allows people like myself to be stronger, to have the strength to push through these things. Yeah, I think doing service has done a lot for like both my sobriety and my mental health, making sure that like my community is taken care of by me being my most authentic self and coming to spaces without holding back. I've told people that are struggling that have come to me in confidence, not every space is safe for that. I think the punk scene lends itself as a comfortable place to bring your most authentic self. Now, like, do I think that walking into my nine to five being like, Hey, by the way, like I struggle with mood disorders and I have to take an antipsychotic once a month. That's not something that like I'm advertising at the film festivals that I'm working for. It would be nice if it was destigmatized so that I wasn't worrying. Nice if there wasn't like anxiety around doing this podcast and wondering like because like I am in marketing and like people can track that back a cool world to not feel constrained by like the stigma around psychosis or for you bipolar when you think back to when you first heard Slater Kinney and Bikini Kill and Heavens to Betsy and I love that Heavens to Betsy comes up so much in conversations I have with people because that band is amazing and should be way more uh, heralded as they are. When you heard those bands, do you remember the feelings you had? I'm like looking for the right word. I don't think euphoria is the word because euphoria is something that I felt when I was psychotic. And that is like a senseless sort of feeling. But just this overwhelming feeling of being understood, this warmth that comes with that, It's not happiness. It's not sadness. It's something like in the middle where you can blast down your speakers and be like, I feel, I feel like we're on the same page. I grew up in Miami and I grew up listening to like electronic music, stuff that you just get mind numbingly wasted to stuff that doesn't have a lot of depth. This was different. This was, this was like a feeling of of belonging for once really really feeling like someone was speaking my personal truth
That was my conversation with B. Sunrish, author of You're Only Crazy If You Answer, marigoldindependent.com, under the author tab. I now have a Tee Public store where you can buy Scream Therapy merch. So head over to ScreamTherapyHQ.com, support the podcast, and get some fancy new duds. Big news over here in Scream Therapy land. The Scream Therapy book, Scream Therapy, A Punk Journey Through Mental Health, will be published this spring by Mansfield Press out of Toronto. The book features my story and the stories of others who use punk rock as a catalyst for mental health. To pre-order the book, go to ScreamTherapyHQ.com book. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of Scream Therapy. I'm coming to you from Powell River, a small coastal town in British Columbia, Canada, on the traditional territory of the Klohomin Nation. Doing this podcast and talking to other folks living with mental health challenges has been a huge part of my journey. It means the world to me that you're out there listening. You can sign up for my newsletter and find more episodes at ScreamTherapyHQ.com. That's ScreamTherapyHQ.com. I'm looking forward to hearing from you. Let's talk punk and mental health. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, take care and be well. Yeah.